So good evening from me also. My name is Sam. If you're new here, I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary Chapel in Freiburg. We've just heard um, Ruth, chapter 2, the second act in this four-act play or comedy. We'll look at a bit more of that in a moment. But to start this evening, I'd like to open up another verse from Matthew's Gospel. Very famous words here in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 and following. Jesus says these words. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is Jesus' great offer of rest, of sanctuary, of refuge, if you like. And this verse, uh, this is the verse that came into my mind this morning as I was uh, driving across the bridge over there, across the Dreisam, uh, just uh, parking before the morning services here. And I thought that's, that's exactly what this chapter in Ruth is about in one sense. And I'll show you that in a moment. But it compares very well, I think, well, Ruth is open, no, with uh, what uh, Hannah just wrote a moment ago in the book of Ruth. Let me just open it up for you. There we go. In chapter 2 and verse 12, this is the response that Boaz gave to Ruth when she asked him why she had found so much favor, so much grace with him. Why had he treated her so well? And in verse 12, He says to her, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So Boaz realizes here that Ruth has come to Bethlehem in order to take refuge under the wings of the Lord, the God of Israel. And hundreds of years later, Jesus says these words from Matthew's gospel where he invites all who are weary to come and take refuge with him. Now, I'm going to be flipping through a few Bible verses this evening. Uh, And I think the most important thing, if you will, is just that you listen and take in the the, the truth of God's word that the Spirit has given us. And uh, so in Luke 24, let me read you a couple of verses Luke 24, of course, is the chapter after the resurrection. And it's funny, um, it's funny that the things just seem to work out like this. Brandon was talking last week about the unseen hand of providence, and there's two evidences of that right here. The first is that Ruth and Naomi came back to, to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest, which happens in April every year, and it's April right now. And uh, the verses we're about to read from Luke's gospel are when Jesus Christ was was resurrected from the dead before he had ascended into heaven and he spent 40 days in the period between Easter and Ascension Day uh, teaching his disciples and that's the exact time of year that we're in now. So I'm going to take that as the unseen hand of God's providence here. Now Jesus says um, twice here in Luke 24 uh, in verse 25 talking to the two disciples if you remember it if you don't know the story it's not It's not important now. But he said to those two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, he said, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets, that is the Old Testament witness, have spoken. 
Did not the Messiah have to suffer all these things and then enter his glory? And then verse, verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. A few verses later, when he appears to his disciples back in Jerusalem as the risen Lord on Resurrection Sunday, verse 44 we read, Jesus said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And with those three terms, he refers to the whole of the Old Testament. And verse 45, Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And so as we go through uh, the book of Ruth, we need to be aware of this. Not just aware, actively seeking to understand what does this book, what does the story of Ruth in the Old Testament have to reveal to us about Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ gives us here the standard by which we are to read our Bibles, by which we are to understand all of God's word. I think it's a right thing to put Christ in the center of the scriptures. Jesus Christ, his person, his work, who he is and what he's done. And Jesus himself says all of the other scriptures that were given in ages past are in some way talking about me, revealing divine truth about me. So that's the question that we want to be asking as we go through the book of Ruth. What does this book reveal to us about Christ? And that's why I've titled this message today simply Refuge. Because Ruth goes with Naomi back from Moab to Bethlehem to the land of the Lord God of Israel, to the land of Judah, to Bethlehem, a significant place in the history of Israel and in the, in the biography of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in order to seek refuge with the Lord God of Israel. And, and then we read the, the words of Jesus Christ himself right at the beginning that he invites all who are weary, all who are burdened, to come and find refuge with him. And I think that describes most definitely Ruth and Naomi as we saw last week what they had gone through. So there are at least two levels here when we read this chapter, the second chapter of the book of Ruth. There's the story of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi. And as Brandon said last week, in some ways this, is, this book has been called a comedy or a, or a novella. Comedy not in the sense that it's slapstick funny, but comedy in the sense that Perhaps if you, um, in, in, in the way it looks at social customs and how relationships develop between people. So it's based on historical events, but it's not just a plain report of this happened, then this happened, then this happened, kind of like Mark's gospel, if you know Mark's gospel. But it's, it uses literary devices. It's trying to show us, it's trying to give us a message, trying to make a point beyond merely being just a... Um, just a report. And for example, it uses, there's a lot of clever use of names here in the book of Ruth. I just want to give you one example now. I don't know if you know, but Bethlehem in Hebrew was actually house, Beth or Beit, Lehem meaning bread or food. So that's kind of one part of the comedy is that there's no food in the house of food. There's a famine in the land. And when Naomi hears that God has again given food into the house of food, they return to the house of food. So just just one little element there uh, in the names. So this story is also giving us background on the ancestry of King David. And we saw that last week as well. If you flip over in your Bibles uh, to chapter 4, you'll see right at the end in, in, uh, that uh, Ruth bears a son. 
And they named this son, chapter 4, verse 17, Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So this is also giving us background about King David. And so we see that the hopelessness of Naomi. Let me read to you again chapter 1 and verse 12, where where Naomi is speaking to, to Ruth, saying, Return home, my daughter. I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me. Does she think there's hope for herself? Not at all. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight, i.e. even if I fell pregnant tonight and gave birth to two sons, would you wait until they grow up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. That's the start of the book. And yet at the end of the book, we're given a perspective that uh, the son that God gives to Boaz and Ruth that is counted to to Naomi is in fact the grandfather of the greatest king that Israel will ever know, King David, and therefore also the ancestor of Christ. And it's interesting, in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew explicitly mentions Ruth. She's one of the women mentioned in Matthew's genealogy of Christ, making extra sure that everybody who read his, who read his Gospel would make the connection back to this book. So there's that level of the story. It's a, a beautiful love story in some sense between Ruth and Boaz, a beautiful story pointing forward to or giving us background on the family of King David, a story pointing to God's provision, God's providence in the lives of ordinary people, as Brandon mentioned last week, back in the time of the judges. And yet there's also a spiritual picture here, a spiritual level here, picked up by verses like the ones we read from Matthew's gospel at the beginning about how God takes care of us and how we are to seek refuge in God, how we, how we are to answer Christ's call and come and find refuge with him. So as we saw last week in chapter 1, the hand of God's problems, that was the, the title of last week's message, the unseen hand that we can see God working behind the scenes in our lives. But the hand of God's providence last week came down hard on Naomi and Ruth and their family, you remember that they suffered a famine in their ancestral homeland, in the lands of Judah, around the city of Bethlehem. And Naomi's husband, Elimelech, made the decision. And the text doesn't tell us, it doesn't comment on this decision, but it would seem to be a decision to play with fire. He left the promised land, the land that God had promised to bless, the land that God had promised to give his people, and he went to a foreign country. And there, after a time, he died. His two uh, daughters by, sorry, his two sons by Naomi also died after they'd married Ruth and Orpah, and both of them died childless. So Naomi, Naomi was left in a foreign country with a dead husband, famine at home, and both her sons dead. And this is what uh, character, I mean, this is what characterizes her words here in chapter 1 and verse 20. When she returns, she says, don't call, my, don't call me Naomi, she says, which means pleasant, Call me Mara, which is the Hebrew word for bitter, because the Almighty, that is God, has made my life very bitter. I went away full with a husband, two sons, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. But there's already a glimmer of hope at the end of chapter 1 that we're going to see developed in this chapter tonight. It's It's a glimmer of hope that Naomi doesn't see. She says, the Lord has brought me back empty. And she somehow misses the fact that there's Ruth standing by her side, having come back from that foreign country 
of Moab. Ruth's love for, Ruth's devotion to Naomi, it's really a covenant promise that she makes. It's, it's almost astonishing how true, how loyal Ruth is to Naomi. It's the first glimmer of hope that God is working out all things for the best. And that's what we want to draw from this story, to understand that that's why we have uh, Jesus here on the back wall. Because as Carrie Chapel Friday, we want to emphasize that truth from the book of Hebrews, that Jesus Christ is the same today, or yesterday, today, and forever. And if I apply that now to, to God, the Father, the first person of the Trinity, God is just the same back then as he is now. And if God is giving glimmers of hope, working in the darkness, working in the difficult things of Naomi's life, of Ruth's life, then he's doing so in your life too. And so we, we, we read then uh, chapter 2 before at the start of the message uh, this evening, uh, titled Ruth Meets Boaz in the Grainfield. That's the second. If you, if you, have, a, if you have a play, uh, then, or, or it's divided up into acts, and each act is usually set in one place. And the, 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 the place where this second act of Ruth is, is set uh, through all of chapter 2 is in the grain fields around Bethlehem. That's where Ruth meets Boaz. And so I want to draw out three points for you tonight, three points for all of us um, to encourage us this evening from this text. And the first thing is God's providence and sovereignty, which we looked at a bit, to, uh, bit last week. But this is a theme, it's really so clear in the book of Ruth. It goes right through the book. But I want to draw your attention tonight just to two verses, to verses 3 and 4 in chapter 2. So we read um, that Ruth says when, when they've arrived back in Bethlehem, now she's a widow, Naomi is a widow, Naomi is now an older woman. They need to do something in order that they might survive. And so Ruth, verse 2 of chapter 2 Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go into the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, verse 3, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. And verse 4, just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. I want to draw your attention to those two phrases. As it turned out, she happened to be in the field of Boaz. Who would have thought? What a coincidence. And just as that moment that she hit that field, or that she entered that field, it was just then that Boaz arrived from Bethlehem to greet the harvesters. And we know from verse 1 that Boaz was a relative of Naomi. He was a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech. That is, he was somebody who was able to help Naomi and help Ruth in their situation, in their difficult situation. And this is what we mean by providence. And so I thought, because, this is a, because the story of Ruth and Boaz is a love story, I, I thought I might um, draw out two points from my own history where I saw God's providence uh, in my life, the way I met my wife. Sorry, I'm going to do that to you now. So if you, uh, if you don't know me, I'm from Sydney in Australia. And Sydney's a really big city. It's exciting. There's lots going on. And uh, in my third year of my degree, my original degree, I decided I'm going to come over and do a semester or two in Europe. A semester or two in Europe. Now, I really actually wanted to go to France. And that, I don't now, don't now know why, except maybe, as it turned out, I was supposed to come to Germany. And 
having then decided to go to Germany with others from my class at, at the university back there in Sydney, we had to write down Sydney University, it's a big university, important university, influential university, has partnerships with universities all around uh, German-speaking Europe. We had to write down three choices. And I can't remember what three... I can't remember if Freiburg was even on my list. I know Berlin was on my list and Vienna was on my list because I thought, I'm from Sydney. I want to go to a big city. It's an exciting place to be. But for some odd reason, I ended up here in Freiburg, as it turned out. And just then, as I arrived in Freiburg, my wife, who, has, who was from Hamburg, she'd gone to the United States for a year to work there in the state of New Jersey. And uh, while she was in New Jersey, she was applying for places to study. And it's funny that, that, that what she wanted to study was actually available in Hamburg, just down the road from where her parents lived, just down the road from where all her, her friends were that she'd grown up with. But for some odd reason, as it turned out, just happened to be, she overlooked that. And the only other place this was offered was in Freiburg. And so she came down here to Freiburg, and that's when we met. Ah. <laughs> was, that, was that just coincidence? Was that just as it turned out? I think the answer, the answer that the, the writer of Ruth wants us to understand, the answer that the Bible wants us to understand, is no. Not really. As the... As the as the, the, the text says in the Bible, human beings, we think about the decisions we're going to make, but it's God who guides our steps in life. And this is called providence. And this is such a really important thing to understand. And providence is, is I want to com- um, um, compare that to miracles. I think it's really important to understand that often we think of a miracle, you know, um, it was a miracle that that happened. We use that word so easily. It was a, it was a miracle that... Uh, I don't know, that the sun came out today. But that's not really a miracle. A miracle really refers to, in one sense, where the laws of nature, the laws that God put into this cosmos when he created it, the laws of physics, when they're suspended for a time and something supernatural, that is, above the natural order of things, supernatural, takes place. And we see that all through the Gospels. And I think some of us might be tempted to think that's the only way God works, if we don't see something supernatural, if we don't see something fantastic, then God is not at work. But this book of Ruth, and in fact, much of the Bible, shows us that the regular way God works, that all times and in all places, is through providence. That God, in some ways, moves to make things work out in order to fulfill his purposes. Each individual thing in life, or individual situations in life, um, in, in even the smallest things... And we saw that here in the book of Ruth. This is the smallest thing. God so directed Ruth's steps when she left Naomi that she ended up... Ruth was a foreigner. She'd never been to Judah. There were no signs up on the field saying, this field belongs to Boaz and he's a pretty cool guy. She just walked into that field. Why did she walk into that field? Because God, God didn't supernaturally change the laws of nature and harden the air on both sides of us. She was kind of directed down an air tunnel and had to enter that field. That would have been a miracle. No, he supernatural. He no, he he guided her steps so that she ended up in that field, and he guided Boaz so that he arrived just at the same time. And this is because God is sovereign. God stands above all of His creation, and this is such a a freeing thing. I just want to take you guys very briefly now on a little tour of Isaiah. Just kind of blow your minds here a little bit. Um, so, open up if you will with me. 
to Isaiah and chapter 43. I'm just going to read you some excerpts of this. This is a huge section. Beginning in, in verse 43 that lays out over the course of five, six, seven chapters the, the, the awesome sovereignty, the awesome power of our God, of who God is and what he is like. So just follow along here. In Isaiah 43 and verses 10 through 13, the Lord is speaking here. In all these verses, that's the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And he says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I am chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I and not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? When I act, who can reverse it? Who else is there, God is saying, that can have any control over the way things turn out, over the creation, over what happens? There's no one else. I am the only God. Or in chapter 44, let's skip over there to verse 6. This is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. God is saying, is there anyone who dares to say they're like me? They stand above the creation. They stand from the beginning of time, the first and the last. They should come out and lay open their claim. There is no one. There is no one. Or in verse 8b, of, of Isaiah chapter 44. You're my witnesses. Is there any God beside me? No, there's no other rock. I know not one. In Isaiah 45 and verse 7, we read this shocking verse in some ways. God speaking again, I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. And in verse 9, again, these, these, these words are simply just... Take, out, take the feet out from, from under us again. Woe to those who quarrel with their maker. Those who are nothing but potsherds among the potsherds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Can you imagine that? There's a potter's studio there and the potter is making something on his potter's wheel and the clay says, what are you making? The point that we understand is, what right does the clay have to speak to the potter and say, what are you doing? Woe to the one who says to a father, what have you begotten? Or to a mother, what have you brought to birth? And just one more in, verse, in, in chapter 46, in the verses 9 through 13. Again, this is like a litany, one thing after the other. And there we read, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, there's no other. I am God, there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey from a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. This is who our God is, and I want to um, finish that little survey by again going to the New Testament and, and, and giving you a precious promise here. This shouldn't, this shouldn't make us 
full of fear. This shouldn't make us fatalistic. Well, if God directs everything, if he's over everything, what hope is there for me? That's not how Ruth acts, and that's not what the New Testament shows us here. Let me read to you this precious promise. Many of you will know where I'm going to go. Romans 8 and verse 28. It's because God stands over everything. It's because there's no one else. There's no one else to challenge him. Even Satan is completely subordinate to the will of God. Satan's not some kind of equal power going back and forth with God and the outcome is uncertain. Who will ultimately be victorious? God, there is no other. He is the first and the last. And and that's where we have this precious promise. Paul writes, Romans 8.28, And we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I just want to draw your attention to that phrase, all things. All things. That really means all things. So if you look back at the book of Ruth, the fact that Naomi Naomi and Elimelech went to Moab, the fact that Elimelech died, the fact that their sons, Marlon and Kilion, also died, childless, The fact that Ruth went back, a widow herself, a young woman and a widow, with Naomi, a widow, through all these things, that's what this precious promise is saying. God is working for good. And that is the message in the the Bible from the very front to the very back. That God is working through all things, even through the darkness. That is the amazing power of God, that God can work through evil and through darkness to bring around, to bring about good. I think of the statement that Joseph made in Egypt when he revealed himself to his brothers and his brothers were full of fear because they'd sold him into slavery. They tried to kill him. And Joseph said, you meant it for evil. The brothers sinned. It was wrong. It is wrong to sell your brother into slavery. Just to make that point here clear. It's wrong to sell your brother into slavery. The the, the brothers had sinned. But Joseph said, but God meant it for good and he used it to bring about the salvation of many. We can apply that sentence right here to the book of Ruth. What happened to Ruth and Naomi in the land of Moab was tragic, but God used it to bring about the fact that Ruth would then meet, and we'll look at that in more detail next week, this so-called kinsman redeemer, Boaz. And what was shown through Matthew's genealogy is that through that union was brought about salvation for many because Ruth and Boaz are ancestors of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this should give us great freedom. If all things are working together for good, we can be free. Really, a burden can drop off your shoulders as you live your life. You can trust whatever happens when I go out there, whoever I run into, whoever I meet, whatever they say, whatever, whatever happens, God is working through that, even when it's really hard for us to understand that or see that. I want you to cling to this promise here in Romans and believe it. And that's what Ruth does. We, we see that in her. It's an amazing, amazing woman. And so we turn now to uh, the second thing, which is Ruth and Boaz their character is revealed to us here in this chapter. This is where Boaz is introduced into uh, the story. And we see here that despite this taking place during the time of the book of Judges, where we read at the end of the book of Judges last week, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. And if you read the book of Judges, it's a depressing read. 
It's like the righteous have perished from the earth. There's no one, there's no one decent left anymore. Yet this vignette, this little story shows us no. The Lord has reserved some for himself who are righteous. Now Ruth here lives by faith. Really, we, we should concentrate on Ruth at the moment because we want to emulate Ruth. Ruth is an example that we can follow. In fact, in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says that everything in the Old Testament is written down as examples for us and warnings for us. And that's part of what it takes the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to understand what's written down here that we should emulate and copy and what's written down as a warning to us. And I often find when I talk to people who are not Christians that they lack this spiritual understanding when they read the Bible and they see so much sin in the Bible, so many horrible things that the Bible reports and they think God wants that. That's how we should live. That's how his followers should live. They lack the wisdom to see what is worthy of emulation, of copying, of imitating, and what is not. But in this story, Boaz and Ruth are definitely worthy of emulation. They are of noble character. They give us an example of how to live in our everyday lives. She, Ruth lives by faith. She takes God at his word. She has a living faith, which is what we looked at in the book of James here at Church at Five, just before we came to Ruth. We saw last week, somehow, while she's in Moab, and she comes into contact with Naomi and Elimelech and their sons, somehow she comes to an understanding of who the God of Israel is. Of who the God of Israel is. And we read here what she says when she decides to return with Naomi in, in chapter 1. She says, and verse um, 16, she says to Naomi, your people will be my people and your God, my God. And then in verse 17, may the Lord deal with me. Now, she, she, she indicates here the reality for her of, the, of, of Yahweh, of the God of Israel. She doesn't speak as if this, is, this God is an empty name or an idol. She speaks of him as reality. She's come to faith. And so here she takes the initiative when they arrive. She's the one who goes out into the field in order to take care of Naomi, to take care of their situation. She's humble. It's just so refreshing to meet someone like Ruth who's not concerned with her rights, what she's owed, what she's deserved, how other people should treat me. She's humble. She knows she's a foreigner. And yes, in the law of Israel, the Israelites were commanded to treat the foreigners well, but she knows that she's not going to get any special favors. She's right down the bottom of society, and she's humbly willing to accept that position and trust in God to look after her. She doesn't expect any handout. She's hardworking, willing to trust God for her life. We see that here where she says... Um, she comes to, in, in verse 7 of chapter 2, she came into the field, and this is the, the overseer reporting this to Boaz, and she said, please, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. And then here, she came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. She's industrious, she's hardworking, she's humble, and she shows us a living faith. She takes God at his word, and then she acts, and she's worthy of emulation. I want to link this up to you guys again in the New Testament very quickly. The time of Judges was a really dark time. 
We did a series here in Church of Five on Judges last year. You can go and grab those, those sermons online to give you a better, um, a better idea. But this verse occurred to me. Uh, Paul writes in Philippians uh, chapter 2 and verse 14, these verses. And, and as I read these verses, just see if this doesn't describe Ruth. Just see if this doesn't describe how Ruth acted in chapter 2. Paul writing here to the Christians, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Now, we live in difficult times ourselves. It's interesting. I don't know what you think about the times we live in, but I'm reminded of a quote that uh, St. Augustine uh, said, when he talked to people in his day, what's that, the 4th century AD, he was living in interesting times. He died when his city, Hippo in North Africa, was being besieged by barbarians who were destroying the very world around him, the Western Roman Empire falling in his time. But he said, we complain about the times. We say the times are bad, but his famous quote is, but such as we are, such as the times. He's saying, let us be who we're called to be, who God has called us to be, and we will have an influence on the world around us, on the times around us. And this is what Ruth is. She shines like a star in this story. In fact, her, she and Boaz, compared to the, the behavior that we see in Israel in the book of Judges, they shine like stars in a crooked and warped generation. And so I say to you, these are, these are characteristics. Ruth is somebody that we want to emulate, that we want to, that we want to copy. Let's learn from her and how she behaved. Let's put that into practice in our own lives. And finally tonight, refuge. That's the name of the message tonight. Ruth sought refuge under the wings of the Lord, the God of Israel. So we've seen God's providence and sovereignty, watching over all things, directing everything towards his purposes for our good and for his glory. We've seen that Ruth and Boaz are examples to us of godly character, of how to act when the times are difficult. And now, what really marks Ruth out, though, is that she sought refuge under the wings of the Lord, the God of Israel. Let me go through this with you, because here she's really a model for us. She's someone we want to follow. We see her profession of faith, of her active trust in God, in chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17. Listen to her words here. Just think about her situation. She's lost her husband. Her sister-in-law has lost her husband. She's lost her father-in-law. And she's speaking here to her old, her, her aged mother-in-law. But Ruth replied to Naomi, verse 16 of chapter 1, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. That's Naomi's profession of faith. She's fully relying here on the God of Israel. It's simply amazing and astounding that she, that she, she gives almost this covenant promise to Naomi to leave her family. She could have gone back to her family. She could have found another husband from among her own people. And she was basically saying, Naomi, I'm going with you to your country. I've never been there before. Your people are going to be my people. Your God will be my God. And even if you die, Naomi, I'm not going back. 
That's faith. That's a profession of faith, her active trust in God. It's active because then she does actually leave. She leaves Moab and she cleaves to Naomi. Then we see her living faith here in this chapter, trusting in the God of Israel to look after her in the land of Judah. We see her receive grace and favor from Boaz. He takes the initiative, he speaks to Ruth, he takes her in, and he promises to take care of all her needs. And that is a wonderful picture of the way God, when we seek refuge with God, God takes us in. God ta- like, like Boaz takes the initiative to speak to Ruth, God takes the initiative sending his spirit to us. And when we come, in, come seeking refuge uh, from him, just like Ruth sought refuge from Boaz, he gives us so much grace. He takes us in and promises to take care of all our needs. Listen to how this happens in verse 8 of chapter 2. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me, my daughter. He doesn't identify her as a foreigner or a slave. Listen to me, don't go and glean, that is gather the, um, the wheat or the barley in any other field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. Whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have have filled. And then we see in verse 14, Boaz begin to finish, to to fulfill that promise. Verse 14 of chapter 2, At mealtime, Boaz said to Ruth, Come over here, have some bread, dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. And as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves, don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. This is, this is abundant grace. This is the message of the New Testament. What, is, what Boaz is saying is, even when you've harvested the stalks of grain, and you've kind of put them in bundles ready to be taken back to the, to the barn and to the threshing floor, I want you to pull some of them out and deliberately throw them on the ground behind you so that Ruth has even more to pick up. This is the picture of abundant grace that we're shown in the New Testament, that Jesus Christ didn't, didn't just give us a tiny little bit what we needed in order to fix a problem, but he, he poured out the abundant grace and love of the Holy Trinity, adopting us into his own family as his co-heirs, calling us no longer slaves, but sons and daughters, friends, inviting us to enjoy the same love within the Holy Trinity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that he'd enjoyed in all eternity. Massive, overabundant love. This is what we see here too. Boaz is overabundantly generous and gracious. What a picture he is for our God and for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because, as we'll see next time, Boaz loves Ruth, if it's not already clear now. He's pretty keen on looking after Ruth. Now, Ruth was a, was a foreigner. That's made so clear from Moab, a Moabite. It's, it's mentioned like eight times in this passage, just to make sure it sinks in. Ruth is not from Judah. She's not from Israel. Look at verse 6 with me. The overseer replied, after Boaz asked who this is, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab. With Naomi. Get that? She's not from here. But this is the message of the gospel in the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is such a beautiful gospel picture that God will have mercy and love on anyone 
no matter what ethnicity they are, anyone who humbles themselves like Ruth and seeks refuge, as it says here in verse 12, under the wings of the Lord God of Israel. So let me recap. What do we learn from Ruth chapter 2? We learn really, and we need to ask God here for help if we struggle, to rest in the sovereignty and in the providence of God, to have true freedom, to, to, to understand here just like God is working behind the scenes in hidden ways, even when we can't see and can't perceive. And at this moment, Naomi can't perceive this either. But God is working for his glory and for our good. And in fact, right at the end here of chapter 2, Naomi finally sees this, having been so bitter, having been so blind to what the Lord is doing because of, and understandably so perhaps, because of the difficult circumstances she'd been in. When Ruth, in verse 19, comes back, Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. Then a light goes on for Naomi. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. And he referring to God, God has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And then she added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian or kinsman redeemers. So I want to charge you guys tonight, rest in the sovereignty of God. You might be going through the most difficult time right now. But rest in God's sovereignty, rest in that precious promise of Romans chapter 8. All things are working together for good for you because God loves you and has called you according to his purpose. And then I want to say, in in these difficult and dark days which we find ourselves in to some degree in our world, let us make examples of people like Ruth and Boaz. They shine like stars. They're part of that cloud of witnesses that the book of Hebrews talks about. Let's emulate them in our lives, their noble character, their faithfulness to to God in difficult times. And most importantly of all, and this is, I want to say this both as, a, as, a, as an invitation and also as, a, as an encouragement to you. Let us, like Ruth, seek refuge for the Lord, with the Lord God of Israel. Let's seek refuge with the Lord God. The Lord is kind. He's good to all who take refuge under his wings. And so to conclude... Let me invite the worship team back up. Let me finish with the words that I began with. Ruth came from a foreign land, far from the God of Israel, but she sought refuge under his wings. Let me finish with these words of of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So let's worship now in prayer, and take refuge under the wings of God. Be astonished at his grace, and come and find refuge with him. And this next song will lead us into a time of communion. And I invite you in that sense to find refuge at the table 
of our Lord Jesus Christ.